0: Welcome to the Senior Times podcast today on our Rugby Legends series, Gary Cook chats with former Irish international rugby legend Willie Anderson on the release of his new book, Crossing the Line. This is part one of a special two part episode.
1: Hi there, Gary Cook here and you are listening to Rugby Legends. Willie Anderson played second row for Ulster and Ireland with distinction and no little controversy, but that is only part of this story. And he's put it all in a book crossing the line. And to talk about it now, I'm delighted to be joined by Willie and his biographer, Brendan Fanning of the Irish Independent. You're very welcome, guys. Thanks very much indeed, Gary. So let's get straight to it, Willie. Yeah, no okay. problem at no So uh, pretty much the beginning of the book. I first heard your name um, in uh, sort of autumn of 1980, and my dad, who's a big rugby fan, told me a story about some Irish rugby guys who had some issue with a flag in Argentina. Now, the story was presented as a kind of rugby hijinks story, but that is not how it worked out, is it? No, no,
0: it, it, it didn't work out that way at all. Um, I had actually saved up my money that summer to go on to, to Argentina and then to fly up after about the fourth game or fifth game to Canada to play for me, for my um, my college side called King Scholars in St. and um, so we, I, I, I don't think I played the first game I think I played the second game I certainly played the second game up in Cordoba and it was you know fairly heavy stuff because there was coins coming on because we were beating them and all. And there were a few boys getting tramped on, and sort of thing. And then we came back down to Buenos Aires where we're going to play Banco Nacional, where uh, Hugo Puerto played. Um, and like, like, we were treated magnificently.
1: And you were on tour in Argentina with.
0: Yeah, we were in tour. We uh, in, in, tour in Argentina with the Penguins, and there was you know was, uh, three or four uh, guys from the North.
1: They players there, uh, and the Penguins are a kind of touring club. Yeah, they're, right?
0: they're like a Barbarians, only they're you know they're a lower lower level of Barbarians, uh, where there were guys from you know uh, England, Scotland, uh, Wales, and Ireland. And then after the match, um, we were walking home from the where we were out that night, in me and and we were walking down the road, and I had a flag from the year before from Canada on my wall in, 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 in my flat in Belfast. So I said, Chippers, there's a flag there, look, you know, give us a hand there to get this flag and, and we got the flag. So that was the start of it.
1: Willie, can I ask you, like, coming from Northern Ireland, did you not have a sense of the significance of flags? Well, I mean, the the the, the, in, the in the North, if you took a flag down, you wouldn't
0: probably have the same sort of situation and also in Argentina, we certainly, to my knowledge, we were never told that the flag had to be down, had to be put up at sunrise and taken down immediately at sunset. So, um, we we I never was given any sort of coherence about
1: that at all, or you know, recollection that I know about that. And you guys went off with mirth and a flag back to your hotel, and then the sirens started. And you all joked that they were there for you, really, but they were there for you. Yeah, and
0: when uh, Carlos Warner, who was an absolute legend towards me in terms of what he did for the, the four months or near four months that I was there, he came, He was our liaison officer. He came in and he said, look, there's an issue here, guys, it's a big issue. We were in playing cards in a room. There was five or six of us. And... Um, then the next thing it was it was five or six guys coming in with machine guns, and I they said somebody's taken a flag, and uh, they wanted back now, and um, I said look I have taken the flag and I put my hand up immediately, and uh, they, they, they not only do they want the flag back but they want you down the station, mm-hmm.
1: down. so that was that was. The next thing so this situation is snowballing very very quickly this was getting massively
0: out of hand and and at that stage you know it's still the guy said right jokingly like right, so we'll go down with you and you we'll get this over with because you know it's, it's not going to be an issue we'll give the flag but we've given the flag back so you've given the flag back. you put your hand up she so will go down with you to
1: the to end of the station and you were with um Davey Irwin was there. Yeah, Frank uh, Wilson.
0: Frank Wilson and John Palmer. John Palmer. Uh, he yeah you know, was from Bath, mm. and they just said, "Look, we'll go down with you." And they, we were taken down, down in the, in the police cars, down to this police station. But the process was just monumental. Like we were, we were interrogated for like twenty odd hours, and you sat in the seat, and and you get your fingerprints taken, and uh, you know it was. There's a question of this. This is unbelievable because the reports that came out the next day, and literally we were on the front pages for about four days uh, in Buenos Aires because it said we'd weed on the flag, we'd burned the flag, we'd ripped the flag. So it was a, and basically because um, we were traveling on the four of us were traveling on on
1: British passports. Okay, so they discussed. They discarded the Irish passport. There was one Irish passport, I think, and they were very interested in the British passports. So why was this?
0: Well, it's it, it, all to do with the what they call the Malvinas Islands, yeah. which we know is the mm-hmm. Falklands Islands. Uh, so, so I mean, I like I was just so distraught bro, that that I had done this, and these guys were taken into custody as well. So that was, uh, you know, it was very. I felt shocking about it. And then I, I thought, well, look, I, I just let the, let the, these guys know that that these had, people had nothing to do with it. Absolutely nothing to do with
1: it. Sure. So, which was incredibly, um, I mean, honourable of you, although you must have felt, you must have felt I had terrible guilt about this. Because, I mean, Dave own was, you know, a young man starting yeah. to be a doctor. I mean, this kind of stuff is, has got real... Yeah, you ramifications. Know, absolutely
0: ramifications, and and uh, you know, and every everybody, you know, I realised that particularly Davy, because you know he, you know his father was a professor and, and you know medicine and all that sort of thing, and and uh, you know, and he had nothing much whatsoever to do with it, all with the fact that you know we were good good mates and Frank mm. was a good man of mine, mine and John Palmer, you know, were, mm. became good friends, and they just came down and. You know, fortunately, John Power got, got away, and then, um, and then the, the everybody was processed, we were searched, we were the, the whole
1: shit much. And you were in, uh, prison for two weeks. It was nearly 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 a month altogether. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, um, I'm struck by one point of it when, uh, you're, you're you're sitting there in the in the cell and you're. The, the guilt, the hopelessness, the, the terror of what's going on. And there's some feces in the corner of your cell that you're looking at. I mean, this is what got you interested in writing this. Well, that was that,
2: after they'd been processed and um, they were brought before the judge and the judge decided, OK, I'm going to put these guys on remand and they were taken away and they were brought downstairs to wait. Um so it's when they were brought downstairs to the to the bowels of the building mm. and they were in those cells and they were separate. I think that's probably when Willie was probably at his lowest dead. So he was in one cell and Frank was in another and John Parber was in another mm. and Davy was in another. So the four of them in these cells where on the walls were all the that messages means- messages left by previous people and then in the corner was one message left by some fellow who knows, a matter of hours earlier. And like it's it's that's that's pretty grim I remember hearing about that and reading about that in a previous interview and I was just gobsmacked that someone could finish up in a situation like that
1: and of course you were being faced with this military gentr- I think it was General Galtieri was yeah, it at it that was, time yeah. and you were pretty much told that, uh, that that they'd be happy to to execute you or at the very least have you t- doing 10 years hard labour down south I mean did you believe like any of these things could happen no no I, I
0: well <sighs> I, I had a, a bit of an idea just, to, you know, moving on from what Brandon said there. When we when we were put in that cell and then we went up to meet the judge, there may have been literally 200 newspaper people nice. and cameras to get through into this, uh, you know, upstairs uh, to where the judge actually was. And, and we were told afterwards whereby if the judge had a black thing on his head, guys who were in, you know coming up from their crimes throughout this whole sort of uh, situation that they had in Argentina they would just run straight out to London into the uh so they they knew that you might as well because they're going to be dropped over the the Atlantic and then the next day we we were we were back in the cells and then the next day we were, we we met our um, the consulate, you know, the secretary of the consulate, and he came back and he said, Willie, you have no idea how serious this is. And he told me then. And I don't think I've ever, ever in my whole life, well, bar another situation in my life, felt as shocking because I said, this is just, this is unreal. I mean, I just, this is a prank. this is a prank gone wrong. Right. I've just tried to take a flag. I have no disrespect for this country or the flag or anybody in it. And when he said, look, some of the generals want you executed. Some of them want you 10 years hard labor in the south, which is the next step is Antarctica. And,
1: and you may get away with a two year sentence, but that is a long way off at the moment. So you were eventually put into house arrest uh, for uh, three months after you, yeah. you, um, you got out of the prison and uh, what what was that like for you i mean how did you you're so far from home this, this yeah library. well i you know I,
0: I, I ran every day and i wrote every day i wrote a letter to um the person now that i'm married to who's outside the door here uh, heather um and uh, she wrote back and I wrote to my, my parents and my brother and folk that got there and uh some calls through from belfast and people and um, and my brother, and uh, what I try to do is get into a regime of, of, you know, trying to keep my mind right. Yeah, uh, looking after yourself, getting so, routine. So I, and all I was that. I was a fairly fit guy at that particular time, and I would run the roads, and I was, you know, praying, to, literally praying to God to help me, and 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 you know, I had a bit of a strike one day when I was running down one of the main thoroughfares, and. It's sort of kind of a kind of bang, you know, you have a, one of those moments and it's, it's sort of that moment was you're going to have to look at yourself, you're going to have to do this yourself. Yeah. So then that kind of changed my whole attitude, right? Okay, I'm going to get out of here and I'm going to make sure to get out of here. And uh, I would, you know, watch, I didn't have that many clothes with me. So when I'd run, I'd come home, put the clothes into the washing, into the washing basin, wash them. And then hang him up in
1: the window. <laughs> <laughs> so so, uh, can I ask you, I mean, how did it ultimately resolve itself? Because I, I know some some people uh, were, were involved. Like uh, you mentioned Harry Cavern in your book, who was uh, big in, in FIFA at the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. So know. he had influence at some level. But how how did, you know, who moved what to get you... Uh, I, th- I
0: think there's a, there was a lot of people like Harry Kavan and a lot of pressure come from sort of politicians and all and, and the ARFU etc uh, but on, it's like it's, it was just a process the process okay. had to go through and I was I was given a solicitor who cost my father and my, my, my parents and myself a lot of money you know it cost in the region of 20,000 pounds at that stage wow, wow. in now, 1980 yeah so that was that was wow. major money So 10,000 was made raised by Dungannon and and Irish Rugby, you know, because people contributed, which was fantastic. And my, my solicitor at the time, which is in the book, he was threatened with his life a lot of times. So he, because he was representing a person who had a UK passport who they thought was English, he wasn't English, you came from Northern Ireland. Well, that's a whole other <laughs> ball game, isn't <laughs> and, it? Wow, I mean, that's an expert. They <laughs> <laughs> Never mind Brexit. So, uh, <laughs> so, anyway, I went through the process and eventually I got to cross the line whereby, um, you know, they had a two-year suspended sentence. But be- before that, I went, like, I had even in the concert and, the, and in fairness, the concert, the Irish concert and... The, the British concert were fantastic they were absolutely and they they said to me because there was a film at the time uh, about you know a guy in Turkey you know and Midnight Express Midnight yeah, Express yeah. and 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 it was so relevant they said look you can do it Midnight Express to across to Uruguay or whatever but if you're stopped we don't know you and I says, look I I I I, I know what the regimes here would do because you would just disappear so I took I took a chance, and uh, and then I got a two-year suspended sentence. But if I had been
1: given a two-year and a day, or two days, or mm-hmm. a week, then I would have done ten years. Wow, wow. ten years in an Argentinian jail, in any jail. Oh,
0: my yeah. goodness. So
1: anyway, that's that's the way it happened. And
0: you know, as I always say, there's, a, there's always, a, as a positive person that I am, uh, the the silver lining was that. My, I might have her yeah. a year and a half. Two years it must have been ago. pretty hard on her, having a fella who was <laughs> who's in jail. Yeah, well, there was songs going around, you know, You know that's Time Abba, you know, you know, a super tripper, woolly as a lipper. So <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's right, I remember. Okay, so you got, you got home, it must have been vastly emotional with your family. It was, friends. it was.
0: It was fantastic, you know, for farming people who probably maybe, don't show their emotions that much yeah. it was very very emotional and it took me quite a long time to adapt to to getting back into it because it was, you were kind of in one, one way a kind of a celebrity and the other way you were feeling a massive amount of guilt about yeah. the amount of money that it took to get you back uh the people that you know like davey are on who had nothing to do with and frank uh, who were you know were in jail as well and it just took me a fair while to, you know, come around and then you had to go through the process of getting back into school. And in fairness to Grosvenor High School and Ken Reid, they had been warned or been advised or told in assemblies that, that Argentina wasn't to be mentioned. to me. in fairness, they
1: never did. Uh, and you were, you were a, a PE teacher yeah. in Grosvenor House at the time. Okay. Well, what a story.
3: Senior Times in association with the Great Southern Hotel Killarney are offering listeners, friends and followers of the Senior Times all the chance to win a wonderful three-night active retirement break for two people at the Great Southern Killarney, the premier historic hotel since 1854. With six acres of beautiful private gardens in the centre of Killarney town, as well as its favourable location adjacent to the Killarney railway station, The Great Southern has without a doubt, a superb and unrivalled location while also offering a deluxe guest experience. Simply answer one question. When was the Great Southern Hotel Killarney built? Send your answers to info at slp.ie. One answer per person, visit our website at seniortimes.ie and follow us on our Facebook and Twitter pages. Deadlines for the email entries is 12 p.m. October 15th, 2021.
1: So let's go back to the beginning, uh, Willie. Um, You were born in 1955. Uh, You uh, were brought up at a farm in Six Mile Cross in County Tyrone. What was uh, life on a farm like growing up? Well, I actually I enjoyed the farm and, and uh, it, it
0: was a tough life you know it was a tough life because it was fairly you know remote and my brother and I got on very well my sister was a bit older and uh, you know maybe weren't was maybe weren't as close as my brother and myself but my brother and I got on very well together and we had cats and we had dogs and we, you know we would go on hunts and um, but when we were growing up and when we started to grow up uh, you know we we had to look after ourselves because my mom and dad both milked they, they had the hens and then pigs and um and, and there was a, a lot of work to be done and then as you got a wee bit older you were part of that work you know yeah. you were you were digging out sellage with a grip, and you were you were sweeping out the buyer and you were milking the cows and you were lifting the eggs and cleaning the eggs and all that sort of crack and then in a kind of a way i suppose my brother was a lot smarter than i was and my sister was a lot smarter than i was um, and I suppose I should have been the farmer, but I, I, when I went to my academy, I fell in, in love with the game yeah, and, sure. and that kind of, uh, was the kind of the thing that I wanted to keep doing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. but you know, I, I, I had a love of the farm. I, I you know, I, I it wasn't, I, I, I didn't shy away from hard work and it actually stuck to me probably because I,
1: I farmed till it was, you know, 23, 24. The one thing I'm struck in your in your book and I know you, you were brought up in in the Presbyterian churches yeah. right okay so the one thing that and it's a it's a it's a great phrase and it's a fantastic chapter um you referred to Catholics were the voodoo over the hedge and sort of never the, the twain shall meet what was what was the situation at that stage and I mean did you did you mix it all did you know anything? well it- it was very, very little mix, uh, you know, because you hadn't got the opportunity. You didn't go to the same
0: church. You didn't go, you didn't play Gaelic football or, you know, they didn't play, you know, they didn't go to our school. Um, now, we did travel with them and certainly there were some that we would have started to get to know who we were maybe at, at the, the grammar Catholic school and you, you would have maybe a, kind of more of an affiliation. But generally, they did their thing, we did our thing. But there was no, you know, yeah. at that time there was no animosity. It was just that's the way it was. Mm-hmm. They had their religion, we had our religion, we had our different ways of, you know, I was in, the, I was in the the pipe band, and we had our traditions, and they had their traditions. And having said that, if my father, you know, knew because a lot of our land, you know, bordered uh, Catholic farms, and if you know somebody had a cow cavern or a problem with putting on hay. We'd have been the first there to help them, and they would have been the first there to help us. So, you know, my father was very much respected for sure. for what he was in the community. So, uh, but you knew there was starting to become a, a little bit undermined. You know, there mm. was
1: a bit of tension. However, then, so obviously, you you would have been about what thirteen, fourteen when things kicked off uh um, in, in when the trouble started in in 69. 69 yeah so uh so one thing i'm i'm struck by in the book is as well is the sheer numbers of people you know personally and a very good friend of yours was robert glover yeah who who were well, murdered yeah. yeah
0: yeah that that was just part parcel and, and 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 one person was not in the book a girl i went to school and uh, church with uh, I, she was a cop down and in the Newry when that bomb struck in Yuri, so she was one of the I think, tw- 10 or 12 people she killed there so a lot of people who had worked for my father then became UDR and then mm. they were targets so yeah. and you know that was you know that was just part that was just that was part of it you know you, you were you, you know and I suppose I, I think Brandon said to me one time uh you know you're in the eye of the storm but you didn't understand the storm
1: yeah, and and that that's, that's and a, you didn't no,
0: and 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 uh, I suppose I just said, well, look, if I can get down the road in the bus and play rugby, I'm happy, I'm happy as long as I a do as everything. I'm happy enough, you know. But you were like you were stopped and you were searched and you were your bags were
1: opened and going into shops and blah blah blah. And, but it was just like now wearing a mask. Moving on to the issue of rugby itself, and yeah. you're calling you started playing rugby in Oma. Academy. What was it about rugby? Was it the physicality? Was that what you liked? Yeah,
0: physicality. And also, look, I played a lot of football I was in soccer uh, all the way through until I, I I, I never knew what the game of rugby was until I was 11 or 12. Mm. I mean, I just, no idea. You know, I supported Liverpool and I watched, you know, I remember watching the the uh, the World Cup final and that sort of thing and you know that those were cheapers. So this some people and then I, and then I saw this game and then I was introduced and I suppose in ways I wasn't that great at academics and I was getting on this team and you know I felt good about myself I, I you know I had a bit of confidence in myself and uh, and I and, I, and I, I, I was enjoying the physicality of it and then being on the farm and. That sort of hardness that helped me as well
1: uh, and you, you progressed through your rugby career i know you're in strand minutes uh, uh and you wasn't jim davidson, the, yeah, Jimmy the, davidson he yeah. was there i uh, and you you kind of he was one of your heroes wasn't yeah he well he was a hero, hero
0: to start with and then an unbelievable mentor and uh, guide and uh, you know and his his enthusiasm and his Love and passion of the game, and his knowledge of the game was way, way ahead of any person that I've ever met since. You know, even, mm. even today, because he he just thought so much about the game, and um, and uh, you know, took me under his wing
1: and saw something in me, and um, that that passion and that drive and that determination. And you went and played then for Dungannon with him in the team, and Stuart, McKinney and Stuart McKinney there McKinney, I it?
0: It? Okay. like it was McKinney, myself and jimmy davison in the back row so it was like f- phenomenal to play with those guys and as i always keep saying you know that they taught you how to play on the pitch and they taught you how to play off the pitch uh, with, the, with the correct values of your club how you you know what the game was about and how you travel down south you know to play against the lakes of crescent or clontarf or whoever it was you know you, you were taught you know after the match, you buy your opposite and you have a sing song mm-hmm. and all that sort of crap.
1: Got into Ulster, seventy eight, yeah, uh, uh, 78, yeah. Um, and uh, you talk about playing playing the All Blacks in one of your early games. That's the, right, uh, in seventy I mean, eight, baptism two, of fire,
0: yeah. yeah. And uh, you know, and, and looking back, you know, looking back in hindsight, you know, I, I wasn't ready, really. You know, I wasn't fit mm-hmm. enough. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, you know, probably ready. Even to play against all backs, and they showed you know how the gap that you needed to have, you know, that
1: because that was pretty, what did they already have at that time that you what did you learn from them? Uh,
0: well, the likes of Graham Murray, you know, I, 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 mm. I the Graham Murray story, you know, whereby he wasn't he didn't play against us because we were playing the Tuesday match and then they were playing Ireland on the Saturday. Um, so it was, it was, uh, you know, he, he was on the Tuesday, and somebody said to me. Like I we was watching Graham Murray this morning we training and he and he he started on on the on the goal line and he he sprinted the halfway line and then he jogged and he turned around and did that fifty times. And I said, that, that that is that's not possible. <laughs> that that is impossible because I would have been running, I would have been mm-hmm. up and down fields with bikes and, you know, meal on back and all that sort of thing. And to do that and I try to do that. I I tried to emulate that and I got to 48. I couldn't get to 50 (laughs) and that took me a good year to get there. So, and then that sort of gap of fitness, you know, that gap of fitness and, uh, and their skill level was way higher on us as well.
2: Think you're not smart enough to own a smartphone? Well, think again and think Doro. Doro phones are designed specially with the older person in mind. They're easy to use with louder sound and larger text. Plus, numerous state-of-the-art features that don't compromise on performance or quality. To learn more about the full range of high-tech Doro phones, visit doro.ie. Doro phones. Make friends with innovation. Your free travel card can be used on all Expressway coach services. Despite restrictions, we're staying on the road. Whether you need to attend a medical appointment or for any other essential journey, remember to travel with Expressway. Expressway, keeping Ireland connected. If you're enjoying this podcast, why not subscribe to Senior Times, the magazine and website for people who don't act their age. Or maybe you have a loved one or a friend who you know would love to read more. You can buy a subscription and have the magazine delivered direct to their door. To subscribe to Senior Times, visit the website at seniortimes.ie and like us on Facebook. At Facebook.com/slash Senior Times.
1: Do you think in any way that the uh, issue in in Argentina did that in any way impede your progress? Do you think because you didn't play start playing till as I say eighty four? Yeah, yeah. I was kind of twenty
0: nine when I got my cap, and and I was twenty four. Sort of, about five years I was I was you know put in the wilderness. And it was, you know, I had to really prove myself. And even just because, even not just because I came from Ulster, because you have to prove yourself a lot, you know, by being an Ulster man. And I'm not, that's not against you, just mm. that's fact. So I ever played against the Mike Gibson and the Dole Springs of the, this world. And, you know, every time we played against them, Mike Leinster, Ulster, Leinster, Ulster, Munster, you know, those are my, tar- that was my target. And then Ulster, the Ulster side became a phenomenal side. That With Jimmy D and Harry Williams, and literally, it, it was just inevitable that a lot of guys were going to get picked. And I was very fortunate and very honoured to be picked
1: for Ireland. Uh, and uh, you played in the obviously the, the 85 Triple Crown winning yeah. team, great, great team. Obviously, you've got the famous moment of playing France, and uh, our Willy's bigger than your Condom, condom that's yeah. Right. Uh, and that was fifth. 15-15 I yeah. was at that match actually I remember um and you played really good open rugby, but I was I, I was struck by what you said in the book about mcDoyle that, that you you said that he that this was a kind of a, it, it was it was opportunistic and convenient for him to play that way because he had those players it wasn't as such because he desperately wanted to play that way.
0: Well, I think you know, Lancer played a wee bit of a brand like that there, wouldn't they? You know, with uh, Yeah, but with, because they had the players. They had the players and uh, and they had the, certainly the players in the back line. And then when he when he had the likes of, you know, uh, Brendan like Mullen and Brendan and Mullen and Kieran and, and yeah. Davy Erwin and and Keith Cross and Trevor Ringman and and Hugo McNeil, you know, and and, and Michael Bradley, there was a back line there who were, and Paul Dane, who was outstanding. I mean his passing was phenomenal. And you know, then you know, it, it, you know, we got a couple of lucky breaks, um, you know, the whole way through, and and we, and we won it, and it was fantastic, and it was fantastic. But then I just I just felt that you know that we needed to just change slightly, not massively, still have the opportunity to be able to do that, but then just maybe tweak it a little bit, whereby we weren't as predictable. Okay. Uh, and the next year, I think, and the year after, we we just became predictable, and. Um, Uh, and it it was unfortunate because we had so
1: much talented players. Sure, in uh, 87 it was was the first Rugby World Cup and uh, you say in your your book that there was very little preparation and you weren't allowed to play for six weeks. That's right. What
2: was the IRSU's attitude, i ask both of you this, towards that World Cup? Uh, They didn't have much interest in it because they understood that it was the start of the slippery slope towards professionalism and if you were to ask them what was more successful remaining amateur or being successful on the rugby field, then clearly they would have gone for the amateurism because they were very, very good at being amateur. And it was convenient in a way because it meant that you didn't have to, (laughs) you didn't have to do a whole lot of work on match prep and all the other stuff that you would want to do if it was your bread and butter. Mm -hmm. So there was also a snobbish element to it. Um, Those who do stuff without being paid are considered to be more honourable than those who do it for a living. And that would have certainly been the case in cricket and it would have also been the case in rugby. So there would have been a lot of opposition to the whole notion of a Rugby World Cup when it came around and Ireland's prep for it was was pretty poor and you know it, it really charts it in the book like starting with the, the defeat against Wales which was eminently predictable even though they had beaten Wales in the Championship mm. a couple of months previously um, the decision was to take the players out of the cup competitions and to stand them down for fear that they might get injured, and nobody seemed to think, well, hang on a second. If we're not playing, then our fitness goes. And of course, they were well short of a gallop when it came to playing Wales, and they were bet, and yeah. that was pretty much the end of the tournament. Yeah, yeah.
1: and there was a there was a bizarre political dimension to that game because the night the, the the anthems were an issue, and they didn't play the Irish national anthem, but they played the Rose of Tralee. Isn't yeah. that right? And and, and
0: that that. That was not predicted either because we were all gathered, you know, on, on the night before to see w- w- which one we we're going to play. And I even said Danny Boy, and some I think Phil Orr said something, or, you know, Lanahan said something else, you know, Banks of the Lee or something. And and then I lucky enough Philoar had the cassette the cassette in his bag. James Last. So, uh, I mean, this was just like, I mean, you couldn't have written the script. This was like faulty terror stuff. So, uh, and and like, what did you all think? Well, you know, we we well, we didn't know the words. That's the first thing, you know. So <laughs> <laughs> that was a we couldn't sing along. Not that I was able to sing along to the, you know, the the,
1: the song anyway. But I mean, at, at least I could hum it, you know. But we did not even know this one. <laughs> uh, the game is on YouTube actually unfortunately I, the, the, that moment uh, uh, James last moment isn't on. I, I was devastated when I looked at it yesterday, <laughs> and it wasn't there yeah, that would have been, uh, been the best seller um, <laughs> now I mean that political dimension one thing that struck me uh, as well um, the Irish team you know guys from, The Republican guys from the north of Ireland, who in many respects have very (laughs) different traditions and possibly even political ideologies, right? So, was there any ever tension between the the kind of two camps, particularly this was the you know the the height of the troubles.
0: Yeah, it was the height of troubles, and um, never once did I ever feel any tension uh, in an Irish camp or an Ulster camp. No, we we had the rivalry. If we were playing against Monster or yeah. we were playing against Lancer, you know, you would have had that siege mentality as an Ulsterman, and uh, that pride and whatever, you know, whatever. But as a, in in, um, in the nice time I had never felt that. I I think just prior to that World Cup, whenever the Nigel Karen and David Irwin and Philip and Rainey were caught up in that tr- awful bomb on the border, I think. it it came home to a lot of guys the reality of what we lived through. Mm-hmm. What we lived day in, day out with. And that was, certainly was a big factor in us not succeeding in, in the World Cup as well because, you know, Neidricar was just a
2: phenomenal player. I know player. he was,
0: yeah. But I think, you know, that that sort of brought it home to a lot of guys in the Irish camp that Shapers, this is this is this is really serious. These guys, you know, this is serious stuff. And I just know that even even today, there's a lot of people who won't, you know don't come north, you know. But but my view would have been well, yeah, and I remember some teams not coming to play Ulster, and I would say, well, we live with it all day. you know, Can you not come and do that? We you know, we, we we live there, you know. Mm. We survive, and it was tough. But in fairness to Donegal to mm. Ulster. We always traveled, we, you know, we didn't stop coming to Clontarf. We didn't stop going to Crescent or down to play Dolphin or, you whoever know, we were playing. We didn't stop playing against the Mary's and, uh, you know, and great credit, you know, to rugby football for that, you know, it, in fairness, it crossed the divide. Uh,
1: and uh, you, Brendan, you mentioned there's a, a paragraph in your book and it's uh, brilliantly written Paragraph, And it's basically saying uh, that you, you Willie, our guys from the north, are wanting to play for an, an Irish team that for a country that have, has got constitutional objectives to take some of your own land or yeah. your own land. Does that require a kind of mental gymnastics for Northern Irish players to, you know, because I can imagine if I was... You know, Northern Irish, with and, and had a sort of whatever heritage or ideology I had. You know, feeling that this was very different from 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 the, the sort of aspirations of the South. Well,
0: you I mean first of all, my my you know my heritage. You know, we we came here in 1645, or around a bit there. So, like, I've been here a lot longer than people have been in America. <laughs> <laughs> what an answer! So, <laughs> you know what I mean, and. Uh, I I think from from me as a as a, uh, personally, whenever I was growing up, and when I saw the guy standing for the national anthem in Ireland, and it was at, at at Lansdowne Road, and they were wearing an Irish jersey, which I wanted to do, it it didn't matter. I wanted to do that. It, that didn't matter what the song was. But when I would have heard that song, and I was standing in that that field, I knew I have made it. I knew I'd have made it, play for my country. Um, And I think the essence is that is it, you know, that your desire to play for your country overtakes a lot of things. And and that's the great thing about rugby football because it wasn't about, you know, what their constitutional rights were. It was a question of, I, as an ulcer man, want to play for my country and that's the way i, w- I want to do it and, and, and i will give everything for all that and and, and a- any ulster man that i've ever met who played for ireland that was the same that was the same feeling they, they i mean in fact a lot of coaches and a lot of people would say the more you, you the irish team is not an irish team without ulster man because they bring a lot of dimension Thanks to Gary and Willie for today's episode. Join us next time when the conversation continues.